Hey, my friends, and welcome to this episode of Real Live Talk. Thank you so much for being here. It truly uh, means the world to me that you're here, and it's such a privilege and an honor to be able to share uh, with you like this. And so thank you so much for stopping by. I pray, hope that the content of this episode blesses you, maybe makes you think. And if it does, if it blesses you or adds some kind of value to your life, if you would consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms or wherever it is that you're watching or listening to this episode, uh, that would really, really mean the world to me and be super helpful. So thank you guys so much in advance. And uh, yeah, let me go ahead and just jump into some stuff. I wanted to do a solo episode for a couple of reasons. I've actually been wanting to do this for uh, a couple of weeks now. And um, finally, just with the business of life, getting around to recording one of these on my own. And um, I, uh, a couple things. Well, actually, so at the time um, that this episode's coming out, uh, we're two days ago. It was Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. And I have some thoughts on on uh, just the resurrection that I'd like to share. Uh, my wife and I did some teaching on Sunday morning in our Spanish service, and we just kind of had a conversation about the resurrection. And I was thinking about some things and contemplating some things that I was kind of seeing for me personally, uh, just for the first time. And I just thought I'd share some of those things. I mean, when we get into talking about the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, is there aren't a whole lot of more important things <laughs> that we can talk about than that? And the impact of the resurrection on the daily life of the believer is something that I, you know, I, I don't know if we really fully grasp it. Actually, I know we don't fully grasp it. I know. Let me say this. I know I don't fully grasp it. And uh, I think the resurrection of Jesus, the implications of resurrection power that's available to us, that actually lives and works within us, that we've entered into the rest of God, that when Jesus went to that cross, he did it with you and with me in mind. Um, I like the way I've heard several people say it. The first person I ever heard say it was Bill Johnson, so I'll give him the credit. But uh, if somebody else originated this, then correct me in the comments. But uh, I, I've, I've heard um, several people say this, that uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for you, he died as you. And I like that terminology because it's like you, we, we need to understand we were actually there with him on that cross. But in the same way that we died with him on the cross, we've also been raised to life together with him. Colossians chapter three, verse one says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of the father. And it's, it's such an important, not just concept, but truth and reality for us to continually just gain deeper revelation on so that we can walk more in the fullness of what it actually means to be raised with Christ, what it actually means to have already passed from death to life, that our old man has been crucified with Christ. And since we're crucified with Christ, Galatians 2 tells us it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, that I live as, as flesh and blood here on the earth, this life that I live, as a human on earth, I live by the faith of the Son of God, by the faith of the Son of God, not just faith in the Son of God, but by the faith of the Son of God. In other words, it's his faith in me. It's his faith in you that allows us to live this life in that uh, resurrection power of Jesus. 
And uh, I'm actually getting ahead of myself because I wanted to do something else first. But uh, I, I did want to just share a few thoughts on the resurrection and, uh, you know, j- just just some things that I was um, kind of contemplating this weekend. But um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about I don't know, I'm like super late on this. And so many people have already uh, talked about this. But um, I was able to recently and it was actually a couple of weeks ago now that uh, I was finally able to uh, see the movie Jesus Revolution. And uh, I was I took my son, my, my 12 year old Elijah, we went to the movies together. And we went at night, we went, it was kind of a late showing. <clears throat> and we had the whole movie theater to ourselves, which was really cool. I mean, for us, it was great. It was just, it was fun in that environment, because we were able to, to talk <laughs> without having to worry about, you know, disrupting any other people. And so it was just good for us because I was able to kind of explain some things, um, some of the backstory and some of the different things that were going on and just kind of shed a little bit more light on what he was watching. And I really had it in my heart that I wanted to take my my oldest son to, to see this movie with me and just kind of expose him to some things there. It was interesting. Oh, well, the reason I brought that up was because I would say if you have not seen the movie get out there and see it. I honestly don't even know if it's still playing in theaters everywhere or not. I know it's been out for a while already. And if us being the only two people in that movie theater is any indication, I hope not. You know, again, it was great for us, but I don't know uh, how how great that actually is for um, for the movie itself. So I don't know how much longer it's going to be in theaters. But uh, if you can get around to it, go ahead and see the movie. I've been telling people for me personally, I believe it is, uh, well, for me personally, it's the best um, Christian or faith-based, whatever you want to call it, film that I I have ever seen. And uh, I don't know, uh, other than maybe the passion, which to me is in kind of a different category because it's a very different uh, sort of thing. And, and that movie has had such a profound, profound impact on people's lives, people coming to know Jesus around the world. <clears throat> but um this movie, man, it's it, it, it's having an impact where people are coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ um, through this movie. You've probably maybe heard or seen some of the videos of people praying for one another after the movie ends in the movie theater, people getting saved, all that kind of stuff. It's so cool. But I remember when I first saw, you know, several months back, when I first saw a, a trailer for this movie, Jesus Revolution, I was like, I, I just knew like something kind of sparked in me and, and I just knew this was something special. This was something different. And I think part of it for me, and, and it was really nice to be able to go and to see the movie and it was actually better than I had anticipated. And I think it's such a, the, the timing of this movie, the timing of when this movie has, has been released is, is very strategic. I think it's very prophetic. I think that it's um, very much orchestrated by God that this movie has come out when it has come out um, because there's so many parallels, I think, to what was going on in the days of the the movie uh, takes place uh, primarily in the in the 60s and I think into the 70s and the, the the parallels of what was going on in that day. I think that they that there's so much that we can kind of re- relate to where we are today in culture, in society, and particularly in the area of so many people, like a generation of people that is um, disillusioned by so many things, uh, disillusioned by 
hypocrisy that they see, uh, disillusioned by things that I, ideals that that they were uh, told about, that they had been been uh, been been taught or been led to believe, and to see that everything has not been what it's cracked up to be. And to kind of see that there's a generation of people, actually multiple generations of people that are looking for something real, that are looking for something authentic. And that was one of the most profound things that I, I think for me that I saw in this movie was, you know, you had these people, you had this group of people who were, you know, called hippies and they were, you know, to the older people in society, the majority of the older people in society, they were looking at these primarily young people that were part of this kind of hippie generation, this hippie revolution. They were looking at them like, oh, like they, you know, they're looking at them like they were bad people, like their lives are out of order like this and that. And of course, there was a lot going on in terms of drugs, in terms of the, the whole idea of free sex and all this kind of stuff that was um, going on around that 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 lifestyle that was that was part of the the culture in so many ways of that day and of course a lot of those things or all of those things were a form of of escape for a lot of people or they were a form of just looking for something that they could kind of grab a hold of to make themselves uh, feel good or to be an escape or to be something to experience something to feel something that was one of the themes that kept coming up in in the movie was like you know the 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 what am i trying to say all of the the drugs that were that were going on and uh, you know people doing these acid trips and all this kind of stuff it was like they wanted to feel something they wanted to experience something they wanted to get past all of the just garbage of what they felt like and it was being fed to them the lies that were coming at them the things that they were in disagreement with in society just so many different things that were going on that they perceived to not be real to not be true and so they thought you know what if we can escape and kind of have this psychedelic experience then uh, maybe we can actually feel something real and um one of the characters and there's going to be mild spoilers in here so just spoiler alert um as we go forward i'm not sure what i'm going to say so i might uh, say something that could inadvertently you know spoil part of the movie for you so if you haven't seen it proceed with caution or uh, go see the movie and then come back and, and listen to the podcast later but whatever you want to do there but you've been warned spoiler alert so uh but the kind of the main character uh, in the movie, one of the main characters in the movie and one of the most prominent uh, figures of that of the movement, uh, Lonnie Frisbee, who is this hippie who 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 comes down from San Francisco to L.A. and he's wanting to uh, just continue to spread the, the news, to spread the good news, to spread the gospel and to show people, as they call it, the way. Right. And so he, he's, he's doing this and he has this conversation one day at the at the table with um with the pastor and he's explaining how you know that when they when they got behind the curtain and 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 that there's this realization that you know what even this drug thing 
where we have this place that we can go and we can escape and we can have an experience that will alter our consciousness, it will alter our perception, it will help us to see things that we couldn't see before, it will help us to experience things that we couldn't experience before, and it will help us to kind of get to this elevated state of consciousness where we can find out what's real. We can discover things. And he says that, that you know what? On the other side of that curtain, he found out that that was just another lie. It was just another form of deception and something else that when they really got to the end of it, that was leaving people feeling even more broken and even more disappointing because, of course, that's not the way to experience what I think that they were really looking for was salvation and redemption and peace and healing, and freedom, and joy, and the things that every single person on this planet are looking for, the, the hope that this world needs, that every single person on this planet needs, and ultimately can only come truly from Jesus, can only truly come from, you know, the only the only way that that, that void that exists in the heart of every single one of us, the only way that void can truly and Oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? I can't think of the word. But the but the way that that void can truly be filled is the Father. And I, I, it's it's a truth that I think came out in this movie so beautifully and so profoundly. And and I'm just so excited for the impact that this movie is having and is going to continue to have the ripple effect that it's causing. And I just think it's a beautiful thing. And so, of course, you know the main. The main thing, if you've seen the trailers of the movie, is, you know, and, and very, I think, true to what was going on. Of course, I wasn't alive when this um, this movement, this revolution, the Jesus people movement, I wasn't alive, of course, for that. But uh, but <laughs> I've been alive for some things in, 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 in my day. And I, I, I've seen and I know what it's like for the older generation to look at the younger generation to see how they're doing things differently and to criticize and to lash out against and to say, you don't know what you're doing. And what's interesting is, is that even though you had this generation of young people that were going about finding that peace and that joy and all of that, they were going about it the wrong way, as so many of us do, as all of us do at different times in our lives. They were going after it. They were looking for peace. They were looking for hope. They were looking for something to fill that gap in their heart. They were going about it the wrong way. But at the same time, the, there was the the I think the motivation that was driving them to those negative things, to those negative experiences, the motivation behind it, I think for so many of them was good. And I think that oftentimes, you know, those of us who maybe we've been saved for a long time, you know, we get these ideas engraved in our head that are mostly good. But I think sometimes we get we get some things just kind of engraved into our minds that cause us to be blinded to truth that may be coming at us from a source or, you know, truth coming at us wrapped up in a package that we might despise because we don't understand it or because we don't trust it. And it's so important that I think that we learn how, and don't take this the wrong way, um, I think it's important that we learn how to see Jesus, even in the places in life that we wouldn't normally expect. 
and I don't mean that in a weird way, like, oh, Jesus is the universe. And in, I, I don't mean that in some kind of a, you know, just don't take that in, in a weird way, because that's not what I mean. But what we what we saw, so let me let me just give you an example. So there's this scene in the movie, my favorite scene in the movie. This is probably the biggest spoiler. So if you haven't seen it, you know, skip skip five minutes ahead or whatever. But there's a scene in the movie where they're in the church. And so you have this pastor and uh, Chuck Smith and you have this pastor and he's he's starting to invite the the hippies based on conversations that he had with this guy, Lonnie. He's starting to invite the hippies into his church. And he's got this very kind of stuffy church. Right. And they do a good job in the movie of making it look like a very stuffy, dull, kind of boring church. A lot of older people in the in the congregation and the congregation is not that big. And so it's this uh, kind of typical looking church. Like if you picture a, a church in your mind from the 50s or 60s, like that's what this church looked like. Kind of, a you know, one room sanctuary kind of a thing with the wooden pews. And that's what's going on. And so kind of a stuffy atmosphere. People who don't want too much change right and believe me we still have all kinds of that going on in all kinds of different denominations of the church today where there's a lot of people who like things the way they are they want things to stay the same of course we saw the typical thing and i'm really i'm glad that they did it this way because i think that it's very very true to life i don't know specifically about that situation but i've seen it happen so i'm pretty sure it was true of that situation that, you know, you have the older people in the church that are the tithers and the givers. And so they're the ones that support the church, the ministry. They're the ones that essentially pay the pastor's salary through their tithes and their giving. And so you have them, they basically get to the point where they're going to, they start threatening the pastor and they start talking about how, well, if you keep bringing these people in, you keep trying to make all these changes, you keep trying to do this, you're catering to the wrong crowd and all this kind of stuff, then you're, the people who give are going to start to leave. And they kind of start kind of putting these threats out there, these threats on the table. And the pastor one Sunday and uh, you have it, it's just it's so funny because you have the older generation on the one side of the sanctuary in the pews and then you've got the other side of the sanctuary basically filled or a lot of it filled with this group of hippies and so they're not sitting together the people over here the 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 ones that have been at the church for the longest they're you know talking about how the you know the hippies they they smell they don't dress right they're not even wearing shoes when they come into church there was a beautiful thing where uh, where the pastor, you know, he had gotten complaints from the membership about how they don't even wear shoes. They're going to ruin our carpet because they're coming in with their dirty feet. And he's like, really, the carpet like he has this like the the carpet. That's what you're worried about is the carpet. And so then it cuts to the next. Uh, I don't know if it's a Sunday morning or what it is, but the next time they're having a church service and you've got this line of um, of hippie people lined up and they're walking in and the pastor is is uh, is sitting there. And he's got a bucket and a little towel, and he's washing the feet of every single one of them that comes through the church. And, and it's like, all right, well, now you guys don't have to worry about the carpet. And I, I thought that that was such a beautiful thing. I don't know whether or not that aspect of it actually happened or not. I, I just don't know if someone could uh, comment and let me know 
if they know if that really happened or not. Uh, but it was a very, very uh, just beautiful thing, just a very touching moment where it was like, you know, we can we can do this thing, I think, in, in the church or in life. Maybe we get complaints and maybe our heart's in the right place. Like, like, like I see this where the pastor, he's there and he's wanting to do the right thing. But then he's got these these other people that are kind of coming against him saying, well, you can't do this because of this. And instead of him just saying, well, who cares about the carpet, which he could have very easily said. And I think in his mindset, he's like, I don't care about this carpet. What I care about is the lives of these people that are here, like they're here and they're coming and this is growing and this is spreading. And these people need a place that they can call their home. And how is it? It's kind of it's like the pharisaical model where it's like they were the, they were getting mad that Jesus was healing people because it was the Sabbath. P Jesus was setting people free because it was the Sabbath. And that's not how love works. Love doesn't get mad at people. Grace doesn't get mad at people for getting healed on the wrong day of the week. It's like, what's more important here? What's more important here? Because God never set up the law. God never set up those rules and regulations uh, to stop people from experiencing life and hope and joy and freedom. That wasn't the purpose of the law. It wasn't to stop people from having fun. It wasn't to stop people from enjoying their relationship with God. It was not about that at all. It was not about stopping people from getting free. And the Pharisees, they took the, the, the law, the rules, the regulations, and then they built more parameters around it because the law became the thing that they were concerned about. The rules and the regulations were the things that they became concerned about. They wanted to protect it. They wanted to guard it like the, you know, like Gollum in the ring. They wanted to protect their precious law, their precious rules, their precious regulations. And we see an example of that where it's like, like, oh, the carpet. It wasn't about the carpet. It was about they didn't want these people in their church. But I love the heart of the pastor there where he just responds and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to take away the excuse, even though that's just an excuse. It's just a smokescreen and your problem is really not the carpet. That's just one little part of it that probably annoys you or disturbs you. But it's really not about the carpet, right? He knows it's not really about the carpet. He knows that it's about the hearts of the people. But what he does is something that he's he's dispelling that excuse in such a, a, a simple way where he's actually serving the people in the process. And then there's this scene of shortly after where, again, it's that scene where they're separated, the church, regular church people and the hippies, and they're on different sides of the auditorium or the sanctuary. And the pastor starts talking about how he's going to be inviting. I don't remember the terminology words that he used or anything, but he's talking about how they're going to be inclusive and they're going to be inviting people like this. And he's not going to turn them away. And this is their home as well as our home. And he says, and I, and I believe if I remember correctly, he actually invites people. He's like, you know, if you have a problem with that, the door is in the back and you're welcome to leave. And a handful of people, you know, you, the older people wearing their suits and ties, they start getting up and walking out. And probably the oldest guy in the church, after a few others had walked out, he stands up and it's my absolute favorite part of the movie. And uh, it's probably gonna make me cry thinking about it. But he stands up and it, and it looks like he's about to, to follow them out. And instead, he walks across the aisle 
uh, forgive me, walks across the aisle and he sits between a couple of hippies who probably smelled bad and whatever else. And he just puts his arms around them. Uh, and he looks up at the pastor and he says, I forget exactly the words that he said, but it was something to the effect of, well, let's go pastor. That, that, that scene just spoke to me so much because it's like, that's what this is about. That's what this is about. This is, this is why we preach the gospel. You know, we don't, we don't preach the gospel. You know, Jesus even said that he didn't come to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners to repentance. And when we get so caught up in our, our own version or our own idea of righteousness, and what it means to be righteous and what it means to have it all together. And we get caught up with these things that ultimately at the end of the day don't matter because it's not about our righteousness, it's about his. And if we would recognize that, that it, it you know, if whether you're out there doing some kind of, you know, very um, open form of sin that so many of these people, they were coming, they were coming out of, and, you know, you, you had this guy kind of get up and, and, uh, uh, oh, I forget, I forget how they said it, but it was like, like, oh yeah, I won't be here next Sunday because I've got to go back to jail and finish up my sentence, but I'm getting out soon. It was like that kind of thing. It was just this very kind of wild atmosphere. And you get that kind of wild stuff. You get that wild stuff that happens when you open the door for everybody and anybody to come in and to be a part. But that is the nature of Jesus. And we see it when he's having lunch and fellowship with the tax collectors. And we see it when he's getting in between these, um, he, he's, he's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's, he goes into, to rescue this woman who has been caught in the act of adultery and she's about to be stoned and he gets in between her and her accusers and he defends her and putting his quote unquote religious reputation on the line, which he didn't care about at all because what he cared about was people. And if we're more caught up with what it looks like, and keeping things nice and neat and tidy, then we're going to miss people in the process. And that's the problem. I mean, I there's, there's no problem with, you know, there being order and structure and things like this in our church services. And, but if we're missing people in the process, then our order is leading us in the wrong direction. And when it becomes about the order and when it becomes about the status quo, then what we're doing is we're operating in a pharisaical mindset that says this is more about the law. This is more about the rules. This is more about the structure and the system. This is more about the religious institution. And when we fight to protect the religious institution, instead of fighting for the people that are hurting, that are suffering, that have been marginalized, and we don't invite them to come in. Or maybe we invite them to come in, but we don't actually open the doors and create an atmosphere that's worthy of them coming in. And I'm not even saying that all this is like easy stuff because we're never going to make everybody comfortable. But since when is the church supposed to be about making people comfortable? I don't know. I don't know. But when we start protecting the religious institution and we start protecting rules and we start protecting structure more than we're actually seeking to protect and defend 
and call people home and call people into freedom and call people into salvation. I mean, we're missing the point. And and I saw so many parallels in the 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 movie in in terms of what was going on in society during that time to what's going on today. And today we have um, some very strong uh, issues at the forefront of of what's going on today. Um, and of course, we have the, the the same things that were going on back in that day, but we have some some other things that have really kind of taken center stage. And the thing about it is that we can, in the in the even in the church, we can develop kind of a political spirit where we end up going back and forth and it becomes more about fighting and more about being right. You know, we can, people love to talk about speaking the truth. You know, you got to speak the truth. You got to speak the truth in love. But I wonder if they really understand what it means to speak the truth in love. Because to speak the truth in love doesn't mean that you love to put people down by speaking the truth. And so often I think that's what we're doing. And it's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit that says, I'm going to be right at the expense of you. I'm going to prove to you that I'm right, but it's going to be at the expense of you giving your life to Jesus. <laughs> because what I really want is for you to see that you're wrong. And I'm not saying we don't speak the truth and preach the truth. We absolutely do. But it's got to be in love. It has to be seasoned with love and it has to be real and it has to be authentic. There's a lot of people out there, they're just not, they're not going to buy something that comes across as fake. And I just think that we have to, anyway, I think that there are some really just incredible, profound truths that we can learn from what we see in this movie. Um, because what we see is, the heart of people. And you know what, what, what I thought was really fascinating, and I'm, I'm really glad that they did it this way, is that in the movie, they actually show the neg they show some of the negatives that happened as well. They showed some of the fighting that went on, some of the internal stuff, some of the conflicts and, and different things that happened there. And I like that they did that, that they didn't just kind of create this cookie cutter Christian movie, but they put this thing out there that was that was real in many different ways on different levels. And I think that that's important. I think that that's important. And and what we're not trying to, what we don't need to do, we don't need to kind of like try to paint this picture that the church is this like pristine group of people that has it all together and all this kind of stuff. And we try to do that for one another in the church. And I think we try to do it uh, outwardly for the world as well, where we try to make it look like we're these people that have it all together. We have all the answers. And I love the, the vulnerability of the pastor in this movie where, I mean, it was clear. He's like that. He didn't know. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't have all the answers, but he knew that he had to make it about the people. He knew that he had to go after the ones and he had to create a safe space for people that Jesus died on the cross for. And I think that when that becomes our compass, when that becomes the focal point, when it's like, 
hold on, before you're my enemy, before you have a different uh, political affiliation or before you have different values and before you have different belief systems than me, before any of that, the thing that I gravitate to, the thing that makes the most sense and means the most to me as a child of God is the fact that Jesus died for you too. He died for me. And the only reason that I'm here and the only reason that I'm saved and the only reason that I've been born again and whatever else, the only reason that I, that I have any of this is because he bought it for me. He paid for it for me. If it wasn't for him, I, I'd be lost. And so what gives me the right to be on the other side of salvation and to look at people that haven't crossed over to this side of salvation, that haven't found their way home yet, what gives me the right to look at them and condemn them for being stuck in their sin? Because it doesn't matter what issues we're talking about. And I know in the church we like to put these, you know, tags and we, we like to put different levels on things and say, oh, well, you know, and then we treat different sins differently. We do. We do. We treat different sins differently. Whether it's sexual immorality, whether it's um, uh, gender identity issues, whether it's addiction, whatever it is, we look at things and we we have a tendency to treat people differently based on what they're struggling with or what that addiction is or what lifestyle they're in or whatever. And it's like at the end of the day, how is their sin any worse than mine? And what gives me the right to be here and to have come face to face with the reality of the knowledge of the goodness of God and for me to now stand here from a, figuratively speaking, a pulpit and to condemn and say, well, you're not right because you're not over here with us. And it's like, are you forgetting why you why, like why you're here in the first place? It's to help as many people as possible come to this saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not to defend what you already have. It's not to defend the lifestyle that you've been brought into. It's not to it's not to look neat and tidy and pretty all the time. It's to snatch other people out of the fire. And yeah, there are times where we've got to speak firm and we've got to speak direct. But we've always always got to speak in love and we've always got to remember that Jesus paid the price for every single one of us and man I think I think if we you know if you could walk around and you know see that person saved or unsaved right but just See that person that has an ideology or a viewpoint that is so different than yours. And the first thought in your head is not like, ugh, that person just doesn't even know what the truth is. Uh, that person is just on their way to hell or whatever. What if the first thought was that person is an image bearer of God? That person was created in God's image. And maybe they don't know him. 
Maybe they have no idea what their identity is. Maybe they have no idea how much God loves them, but he created them in his image. And then he loved them so much that he went to a cross and he was tortured and he suffered and he died and he took their sin so that they could be free. That's true of every single person you will encounter today. So if you haven't seen the movie, see the movie. I think it will maybe um, shift your perspective or enhance your perspective. I, I know it for sure uh, did for me. And I think that it's I think that it's important. I think that God is doing something in our nation. And, and I think that God is doing something in our world today that is just so profound where he's getting to the hearts of people. And you and I, as sons and daughters of God, we have the right and we have the privilege. And yeah, I believe we also have the responsibility to be a part of that, to be a part of helping people come to see Jesus, coming to see Jesus. You know, um, I, I grew up in the 90s. And if you were a Pentecostal in the 90s, you know, it was a lot of, you know, fiery preaching and it was a lot of, uh, you know, scaring people into salvation. And, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I just, uh, what am I, I want to make sure I say this the right way. <laughs> but. We're not, we're not here to, to scare people into heaven. We're not here to scare people into giving their lives to Jesus. I don't deny the fact that that works sometimes, but I just think it works so much better when we live authentic lives and we can actually show people how good God is. I mean, if you can show somebody how good God is, I mean, think about you. Think about you, because I think about the way that I grew up and how afraid I was in that day of, or in those days, I was so afraid of losing my salvation. I was so afraid of missing an altar call because I, you know, had some kind of sin in my life or whatever. Like I was so afraid. Honest, I was afraid of God. I loved God and I knew he loved me. But I was also afraid of him. And I'm not talking about the healthy kind of reverence fear. I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord. I was scared of losing my salvation, of disappointing God, of doing something wrong. And I'm telling you, somebody who's been broken, who's been um, maybe abused, who's been marginalized, they don't want to come into another abusive relationship. They just don't. So I think that as the church, we need to stop offering people an abusive father. And we've got to offer them a loving father because that's who he is. And his heart is for people. His heart is for people to know him. His heart is for people to experience heaven on earth. His heart is for people to know his peace and his joy and his love and his strength and his mercy, his forgiveness and his healing. And that's why he died for them. Yes, to give them eternal life. And yes, hell is a real place that we want to save people from that we don't want we don't want people going there and we should tell people the truth so i'm not like trying to water 
this down or anything. I'm, we, we need to tell people the truth. But we need to invite people into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And to show people in our words, but also in our action, in our conversation. I mean, if you're telling people about how good God is, but you're pissed off all the time, like, I mean, what are people going to think? And so that's what I mean when I say demonstrating this in an authentic way where people can actually see the change and the transformation that's happened and that's happening in your life. You're not a finished product. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up and it's okay. It's actually okay for people sometimes to see you make some mistakes. But we've got to stop making this about these issues and these things that don't matter. If we're more concerned about defending a structure, if we're more concerned about defending a denomination or defending whatever, then we are about people getting free and coming face to face with Jesus who loves them, who today still saves and still heals and still redeems and still sets free. Jesus, who gave his life on that cross, who was the mediator between the mediator for them, who went and he laid everything down and now stands as their great high priest, inviting them into the presence of his father. I mean, think about how inclusive Jesus was in that being God himself from the very beginning, came to earth, became a man, put on flesh, suffered, died, experienced all that pain so that he could be obedient to the Father, so that he could be exalted, Philippians chapter 2, exalted with the name above every other name. By the way, he already had all of that before, but he laid it all down so that he could come and receive it, but bring you with him in the process. That's why Jesus did what he did the way that he did it. Not so he could prove that he could do it. Not so he could prove how good he was at not sinning. <laughs> but so that he could bring us into salvation, into the presence of the Father with him. We've been raised to life with Christ. So that'll be, that. that's good. That worked out. There's my, my transition into the uh, resurrection. And I'm only going to talk for a few more minutes because I didn't want this to be uh, long and I already see it's, it's going there, but I was, I was reading in a, I'm in the wrong place. I'm going to go to Luke in a second. I, I was reading in John chapter 20 in my Bible, the, the title there, it has the, the little titles above the different paragraphs. And in uh, John 20, right, right at the beginning there, it says the empty tomb. And I just like that, but I'm going to start in verse 11, it says, um, Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. So this is when the after he had died, and it's um, they, they've uh, it, it's Jesus has already been Jesus has already risen is what I'm trying to say. When we're in verse 11, the, the stone has been removed um, and uh, Mary is there and she's weeping. She looked into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. 
Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. He called her by name. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. I love so many things about this passage, but I love that he says, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. And I just love that. And it brings me back to what John says in John chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And so this is the one of the first things that Jesus says uh, after he's risen from the dead. And, and he, he's talking about ascending to the Father. And I love that he just includes, he includes his disciples. He includes us in this where it's, I'm going to my Father. Oh, and by the way, he's your Father. And my God, and oh, by the way, he's your God. And he's just setting that right from the very beginning. I love the compassion of Jesus that he stopped to have a conversation with, with Mary, with, with one of his closest friends, right? But she's there and she's in this place where she's weeping and she's distraught and she's vulnerable. And he comes and he has this uh, conversation with her. And what's interesting to me is that he has not yet ascended to his father. And he says to her, go and tell my brethren that I'm ascending to my father. And, and it's just an interesting thing there that he has not yet ascended. But then later on, when we, when we come back and we see him and it doesn't show up in John's, it, it, it kind of does, but what, what John doesn't talk about are the, uh, the two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus. And so we find it in Luke chapter 24, it starts in verse 13 and it goes all the way down through. And, and when we get down to verse 28, they drew near to the village uh, where they were going. He indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is um, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. So Jesus had been, uh, he he encountered these two, these two disciples, and they were on the road, uh, the, the, the road to Emmaus, and they're walking. And Jesus starts asking them questions. And I think it's so cool. He's like, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of those whose names was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And so Jesus is there having a conversation with them about what had just happened. They start talking about how... Um, how uh, about Jesus? They start talking about him, not realizing, of course, that it's Jesus. Mary didn't recognize him either. And so, but I just love that he's there. And I just had this thought, and I mean, you don't have to take this as a theological point or anything, but it was just a thought that hit me as I was looking at it this weekend that I hadn't really thought of before. And it's like, Jesus is there and he's, he's talking to these two guys. Right? And he's having this conversation with them and he's asking them questions. Of course, he knows what they're talking about. He knows the answers. He knows what's gone on. He was the center of it. He's the one that they're talking about. And he's just asking them, well, what things? And he's 
having this conversation, wanting them to explain it, and he's walking with them. He doesn't even know, or they, he he spends the day with them. He's walking with them, or the, the evening, I should say. And then, let me, let me say this. When we get down to verse 30, it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. So they they knew, so it was like, this thing about breaking the bread and passing it out to them, he must have, it was like, oh, we've seen this before. We know, you know. And so they see him. It says their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then it says, and he vanished from their sight. So Jesus did this disappearing act. And then we see these verses that indicate that Jesus, um, from there he goes on and he's going to meet with the 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 the, the twelve. Well. Minus Judas, right? So he's they're gonna go, and he's like, actually, it, it's the the text indicates seems to indicate that he's actually walking through the walls, that they're there, and then all of a sudden he's there in their midst, and he's just kind of either either just appearing or walking through the wall or whatever to get in, but it's like they and they say they think they've seen a ghost, and it's this whole thing where Jesus is kind of doing this disappearing act, and he's talking to to people and asking these questions, and it's like, what is Jesus doing? He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. What? What is? Why is he doing this? And you know, I just and it's just my thought. The work's done, right? Like he died before he breathed his last breath on the cross. He declared, "It is finished," meaning that all the work that he came to accomplish, it's been completed. He died once and for all. He did it. He's not going back up on that cross because his sacrifice was sufficient the first time. He's done everything he needs to do and what's left to do. So he's just encountering people, engaging with people. I think he's having some fun here. It's, it's, we, we see a, not that he wasn't restful. Of course he was restful during his time on earth, but he had work to do. He had an agenda. You know, he was constantly looking, looking ahead to what was going to happen during his earthly ministry. He knew he was there to be with people. He was there to minister, to influence. He was there to set people free. He was there to cast out demons. He was there to demonstrate the power of God, the love of God. He was there to be compassionate with people. But he knew there was this greater agenda, this greater assignment of the cross, because that was the reason why he had come into the world, was to go to the cross so that he could redeem mankind. And so now we're on the other side of the cross. And Jesus, at this point, he's already been to heaven. He's been to the Father. He's been glorified. And, and we know that because he's disappearing and reappearing. And, and, and because he said, I'm going to tell my brethren that I'm going to ascend to my Father. And so the reason why I think this is so significant is because he stops to have this conversation with Mary. And he had not even ascended. That's why he says, don't cling to me. Some translations of the Bible will translate that, don't touch me. As if Jesus was like, don't touch, don't touch, you can't touch me. He says, don't cling to me because I haven't gone to my father yet. And I think it's such a significant thing. It's so beautiful. It displays the heart of God so well to us that that Jesus, I, this is just how I picture it in my, um, in my imagination, that Jesus, he's risen from the dead, and he's, the next step is, well, let me go see my father. <laughs> let me go see my father in heaven, who I haven't seen, you know, 
face to face in terms of physically being in heaven, haven't seen him in 33 years. Right? I I mean, in terms of face to face, he hasn't been to heaven yet. <clears throat> physically. He had lots of fellowship with the Father on earth. But physically, he had not been to heaven yet. And he sees Mary and she's weeping. And he stops. And he says, let me go have a conversation with my friend. And I think that is such a beautiful, just image of the resurrected Jesus and his priorities and his intentions for us that he's after our hearts and he's after our wholeness and he just wants us to know him and he just wants us to know how good our heavenly father is and so i just wanted to um yeah that i'm just gonna i'm, I'm gonna stop i had a few more things i wanted to talk about the resurrection there but this has been long enough and um, I appreciate you guys stopping by. Uh, forgive me for getting so emotional in this episode. That's been happening to me a lot lately. But um, guys, he's just so good. He's so good. He's so loving. And I just, I want to personally get better at, you know, stopping for the one who 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 needs whether it's needs to hear about Jesus or just needs to hear that they're not alone or wh whatever it might look like you know and i i want to get better at that i want i want to i want to get i want to become more willing and i want to get better at the things that i think really really matter to the heart of god I mean, I get it. We all get busy. We all have things that we have to do. We all have things that we have to do. And so, you know, no condemnation for living a busy life or whatever. But if we could allow for these little deviations from time to time, like what we see here with Jesus, where it's like, I've got something really important, really pressing that I have to do. Oh, but I see, I see one of my favorites <laughs> and she's just... She's broken. She's in agony because she doesn't know what's going on. And so it pulls on his heartstrings and he stops to speak with her for a moment. And if we if we could just if we could learn how to stop more in life, to interrupt the agenda that we have. I'm not saying every time, I'm not saying be late to all your appointments and stop caring about that stuff because that stuff matters too talking about building a little bit of margin into our lives so that we can sometimes go out of our way when 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 we see somebody that the Lord is leading us to to let them know how good he is whatever that looks like it's going to look different in every situation sometimes it's literally just telling the person this is how good God is sometimes it's literally telling somebody Jesus loves you sometimes it's laying your hands on somebody or asking somebody if you can pray for them. Sometimes it's sharing a prophetic word with somebody. Sometimes it's just being compassionate. Sometimes it's giving somebody a hug or sending somebody a letter or a text. It's going to look different in every situation, but that's what this is about. That's what this is about. We, you know, 
it's it's good the 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 jobs that we have the businesses that we have the ministries that we have all these different things that we have that we do that are necessary that are good that are from god it's great it's so good but those are it's not the principal thing the principal the principal one in our lives is jesus and we got to recognize that his heart is so toward people the people in your life and yes even the people that rub you the wrong way, that think differently than you, that have different values, have different beliefs. He died for them because he loves them, because he wants them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, just like you and I have. So I bless you. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments, uh, your disagreements, anything. I'd love to hear from you. Please uh, leave a comment or a uh, review on one of the podcast platforms on the Facebook page. The Facebook page is um, it's called Real Live Talk. So it's uh, it'd be facebook.com slash Real Live Talk podcast is the actual address. But if you just search for Real Live Talk, you should see my face pop up, I think. And uh, so uh, anyway, bless you guys. Thank you so much for stopping by and uh, hope to see you in a future episode.